Father in heaven, we're thankful to be in thy house in this day. Lord, thankful for the warmth of fellowship that we could experience as we come before thy feet for learning. And Lord, we pray that as we would look into your word in this day, that your spirit would speak to us where it's, it's needful for our hearts, Father, to take the words that may be very familiar to us and to have your spirit apply them to our walks uh, in this day. Lord, we're, um, we're thankful for the reminder that we got this morning of, of, of Kevin's um, serious medical conditions and, and, and struggles and, and probably fears, Lord, for how to, to go about some of the treatments that need to be done. Lord, we pray first and foremost that your spirit would be upon him and Heidi and the girls and Hans and Helene, Lord, that you would comfort them and strengthen them. Pray, Father, that the, uh, the transplant that he needs would be one that would come quickly and, and peacefully, Lord, that the procedures for this colon work that needs to be done, Lord, as well, would be, would be blessed by Thee, and Lord, that You'd give doctors understanding and, and skill to, to, um, to make the repairs and, and the, the treatments that are all necessary. Father, it's, it's a humbling place to be at Thy feet and to place ourselves and our loved ones in Thy hands, and Lord, we know that that's the best place that we can be, but pray that Thy Spirit would give encouragement and peace to to allow us to and allow them to leave him in thy hands and to trust that your will would be done in his life. Lord, we pray for the others that can't be with us in this day. Pray that you'd minister to their needs and give them encouragement and um, strength from above. And Lord, now as we would look into your word, we'll give thee thanks for it in advance and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. been drawn to um, a number of chapters in 1 Samuel. Um, I know a few, well, it's probably going on a month or so more ago, uh, we, I meditated on chapter 30, and I, then I found out that the Bible class lesson two weeks ago was in that same chapter. So at the risk of being really redundant with David and his, uh, his story in 1 Samuel, I was encouraged and, and kind of admonished myself to, to go back a few chapters before chapter 30 and see and, and look at David's his walk um, and some of the patterns in his life and things that, so when we, when we think about King David, or even when we think about David the, the boy or the young man, we have all of these exciting stories. We have like David and Goliath, only a boy named David. We have this memorable song that we all sing about that, and, and the kids could even repeat that for you. When we talk about David, if you ask the question, who was David? Well, somebody in the first couple descriptions is going to talk about a man after God's own heart. Those are the things that we recall. Those are the, the wonderful attributes of him. But we know about some of the sin in his life and um, Bathsheba and things later on in his life. And, but there are other pieces that I, I don't think I often focused in enough on. Um, a few months or a month ago or so when we looked at this in chapter 30, one of the, and I don't know if you talked about it in Bible class two weeks ago, but one of the pieces that continued to jump out to me was verse 6 in chapter 30 where it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And then in verse 8 it says David inquired at the Lord asking of what his, uh, asking how he should go about this situation uh, in Ziklag and, and kind of um, 
going back to redeem his family and to, to fight against the Amalekites. And we used that description a couple months ago, as, or a month ago, as the, the pattern of his life. I, I think the phrase I used was, we can see how moving forward from that point, David did kind of like the Apostle Paul did. It says when the Apostle Paul in Acts, when he went to a new city, he went into the synagogue and he debated with everybody. And that was his pattern. This looks like it was David's pattern, that he would inquire of the Lord as to how to go about a certain situation. And what struck me was that this, and I think the phrase I even used, or the description I used was like, it's if my house had burned down, I don't know that I would necessarily inquire of the Lord if I'm supposed to rebuild it. I'm a contractor. I, I, that's, I, w- I know exactly what I would do. When, when, I mean, it's getting to the point now where we're pretty familiar. When the water pipes burst here at church, I, I know who to call. We know where to shut it off. It's even to the point where some of the rest of you at this point know where the shutoffs are, know what to do. We, can, we have this kind of figured out. But David, a man that you would think would have clear understanding as to the path of his life and, and how he was to, to walk, continually went through this process of inquiring of the Lord. Well, that wasn't always the case. And I guess the the thought that I wanted to give us a little bit this morning was, I'm sure, and I'll use myself as the example, I can imagine that others have these same examples in their lives too, but we go through, through patterns of our lives where there are, there are times when we feel we are on the mountaintops with the Lord and we are at our closest relationship with Him. And then there are those times when we're in the valleys and, and maybe can't see... How, how does the phrase go? We can't see the forest through the trees. We, we can't see the, the path ahead of us so well and, and are just kind of working in this individual moment and, and going through what, what we'll call the, the darker times. And we've, I, I can say that I've had those, those paths. And um, as I was looking at David's life here, I, I wanted to just illuminate a few pieces of them and then see, see if we can take some instruction or encouragement, probably a little bit of admonition too, to talk about how he, uh, how he found his walk. So what do we know about David? We have this young man that was anointed by Samuel. He is in line to be the next king. He kills Goliath. He writes these psalms about how he had slow, slow, killed. I, won't, I can't how to how to break up slew, slown, kill. How he slaughtered these animals, bears, lions, all of this stuff. Big, strong, yet very small little guy. And you would think he would have all the confidence in the world. You would think that that would carry him. They sing songs about him, even to the, the point where some of the enemies of, of Israel would say, David is, or Saul had slain, 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 thank you. This needs to be interactive so you can correct me. He had slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. But yet, Saul is pursuing him. We know this. Saul, we went through all the Bible class lessons. Saul is pursuing him and trying to kill him. He gets to this one point where he is he has opportunity to kill Saul, to take what is rightfully his, his position as the anointed king of Israel. And he doesn't. He just cuts the hem of the garment there just so that he can prove to Saul that, you know, I'm not, I don't have it out for you. I'm not trying to kill you. But this wears on him. It gets to the point where he's, he's very downtrodden. He's very fearful. His, 
His humanity takes over. And one part of this story that I don't think I don't think I ever paid attention to before. I don't think I ever looked at or even realized was a part of the story. In chapter 21, so a number of chapters before what we've talked about, in chapter 21, David is being pursued by Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. And in verse 10 it says, And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart, and were sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before him, and feigned himself mad in, in their hands, and scrabbled on the doors of the gate, and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Then Achish, then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, see ye, this man is mad. Wherefore, then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of a madman, that he may be brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David is in such a, in such a bad spot. He's so fearful that he goes to the king of Gath, Achish. This is a Philistine king. He goes to an enemy king and tries to find some refuge. I mean, this isn't that hard to follow. If you ask any of the kids in Sunday school, who were, the, who were David's enemies? Who were David's enemies? The Philistines are the first ones that come to mind. Goliath was a Philistine. And here he goes to this enemy of not just him personally, but of, of Israel in general, as Israel as a whole. He goes to them to find some protection from, from Saul. And Achish says, I don't want this guy around. I mean, for one, isn't this the one that was, you know, he's, he's a warrior from Israel. And so David even tries, to, you know, to, to make himself less fearful, maybe less intimidating, and, and starts to act like a crazy person. Starts to claw on the walls and, and let, you know, froth at the mouth a little bit. Just trying to make himself seem, I don't know how that really works, to seem unintimidating or, or attractive to them, but... He was trying to make himself unthreatening, at least, as a min at a minimum. But that doesn't work. He doesn't stay with Achish. Achish won't, won't keep him. But we see in the next couple chapters, in chapter 23, David, you know, this pattern of inquiring of the Lord that I thought took place, I in my mind had thought had taken place from chapter 30 on, we see that it actually happened sooner. It says in chapter 23, then they took David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rode the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. And David and his men said unto his men, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Keilah against the Philistines? David then inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thy hand. David has this pattern. When he's not sure what to do, he goes and inquires of the Lord. Now the pattern didn't really play out when he went and tried to find refuge with the Philistines. But somehow in that moment he came back to his senses and, and remembered that, you know, I need, I need to inquire of the Lord. I need to seek direction from the Lord. Well, Chapter 27. Again, you don't have to, don't have to go with me. It's, they're 
I plan to flip around a bit. Chapter 27, we find David in another low spot. And David says in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Moak, the king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelite and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. We'll keep reading in a second, but just think about that. So here's David. High points, low points, high points, low points. He first tries and endear himself to Achish, does it through, you know, trying to be a, a bit of a senile or crazy person or um, unthreatening. And that doesn't work. He then has these higher moments where he's inquiring of the Lord. He's fighting against the Philistines. He's doing what we would expect would be the will of God to be obedient to his calling as, a, as an Israelite. Saul's still pursuing him. Saul has the, it's in those intervening years where we have the time where he um, cuts off the, the portion of his cloak, of Saul's cloak. So again, a little bit higher points. Something must happen. There's, there's more persecution that David feels. And at the beginning of chapter 27, he takes himself and now his 600 men, his band of, of an army or a start of an army, and goes to Achish and seeks refuge. In verse 5, And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country, that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? And Achish gave Ziklag that day, wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And at the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. For 16 months, David and his men were there with the Philistines. They gathered themselves in among the Philistines. They, um, we're going to read in, in another verse a little further down, we're going to see that David is actually, he's raised up to be even the bodyguard of Achish the king. The Philistine king has David as his bodyguard. How, how is this possible? Verse 8, And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezerites and the Amalekites, for those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou, as thou goest to Shur, as thou goest to Shur, even into the land of Egypt. And David smote the land, and left neither women, man nor women alive, and took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and apparel, and returned and came to Achish, and said to Achish, and Achish said, Whither have ye made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah, and against the south of the Jeremiahites, and against the south of the Kenites. And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, Lest they should tell on us, saying, So did David, and so we will be his manner in all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. 
And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore, he shall be my servant forever. So here's a bunch of long names that are a little hard, hard to pronounce. What, what actually happened here? David makes his camp with, uh, in Ziklag with the um, Philistines, with Achish. And he takes his 600 men, and he, those 600 men, they go out and they destroy these folks, the Geshurites and the Malachites. These were um, enemies of the Philistines. These were f- folks that had, there was a beef previous, and you can go back and read it. But he goes and destroys these folks. Man, women, child, beast, everything. Doesn't, doesn't leave any, um, any trace of them. But when he gets back and Achish says, well, hey, what'd you do today? He says, well, we went and we slaughtered the Jeremielites. Completely different people. Folks that were loyal or that were, uh, um, I will call loyal or what's the other word I'm looking for? Doesn't matter. There's another word I'm looking for. Loyal to Israel. They were friends of Israel. They were, there's a word, somebody can tell me the word I'm looking for. Allies, thank you. This is, I'm tongue-tied today. They were allies of Israel. He goes and tells, he's telling the Philistines, well, I went and slaughtered the the allies of Israel. In fact, he had gone and slaughtered the allies of the Philistines. Now, on the surface of it, when you're talking about slaughtering one versus the other, lying about who you slaughter doesn't seem like that big a deal. But just think about where David's at in his whole moral compass at the moment. This, this lie has Achish believe David and say that he's made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Effectively, that David must be loyal to us now because he went and slaughtered his own allies. Therefore, he shall be my servant forever. Chapter 28, uh, first verse says, And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go down with me to battle, thou and thy men. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. You're going to be my bodyguard forever. We are going out to war with Israel. You're going to fight with me against Israel. And David said, Absolutely. Know assuredly that thou shalt go with me to battle. And David said, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. Now the next passage is where Samuel dies and um, well, Samuel's already dead and Saul goes and finds his witch and all that stuff and we'll skip that one for a second. But chapter 29 Imagine where David is now, okay? There's about to be a war, another battle or whatever, and David is standing with the Philistine king. I could put this in today's terms, but you don't have to go that far. I mean, like, Ukraine, Putin, go World War II, whatever you want to do. Take the two enemies, put them against each other, and then take the most unlikely, unlikely suspect from one side and stick him on the other side. That's where David's at. Chapter 29 starts... Now the Philistines gathered together all the servants, excuse me, gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites pitched by a fountain which is in Jezreel. 
And the lords of the Philistines passed by on the hundreds and by the thousands, but David and his men passed on in the rearward with Achish. Then said the princes of the Philistines, What do these Hebrews hear? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is not this David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, which hath been with me these days and these years, and I have found no fault in him since he fell unto me unto this day? Sorry, I read that with like question marks in my hand. That should have been a declarative statement. Let's just describe this for a day. All of these Philistine generals are together now. The hundreds and thousands of men in, um, of the Philistines are ready to go out to Israel, and they're all lined up, and all of the generals are coming down the line, and all of a sudden they get to the end of the line, and there's a bunch of Jews. There's Israel and, or excuse me, there's David and his 600 men at the back, back with Achish, and they go, what? You can almost, in, if it's a, an audio stream, you almost hear that, like, we got to stop the movie for a second and see why is David at the back of this line? One, how did they not know that he was there? That Achish kind of answers that. He's like, he's been with me for a year and a half. He's been loyal to me. He even went and he slaughtered his, his allies. He's, he's here to fight with us. And the princes of the Philistines were wroth with him. And the princes of the Philistines said unto him, Make this fellow return, that he may go again to his place, which thou hast appointed him. And let him not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he be an adversary to us. For, with, for wherewith should he reconcile himself unto his master? Should it not be with the heads of these men? Is not this David of whom they sang one to another in dances, saying, Saul slew his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Cooler heads prevail, and these Philistine generals are like, okay, remember when a couple years back you were singing this song about this exact thing? Now maybe you like the fact that he had these 600 men with him and thought that that was valuable to you, but it seems a little dangerous to go fight against Israel with your former enemy standing right next to you. Then Achish called David and said unto him, Surely as the Lord liveth, thou hast been upright. And thy going out and thy coming in with me in the host is good in my sight. For I have not found evil in thee since the day of thy coming unto me unto this day. Nevertheless, the Lord's favor thee not. Wherefore, now return and go in peace, that thou displease not the lords of the Philistines. And David said unto Achish, But what have I done? And what hast thou found in thy servants so long as I have been with thee unto this day, that I may not go fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And David and Achish answered, excuse me, and Achish answered and said unto David, I know that thou art good in my sight. As an angel of God, notwithstanding, the princes of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to battle. Wherefore, now arise up early in the morning with my master's servants that are come with thee, and as soon as they be up in the early morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose up to depart in the morning to return unto the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. And we know the next chapter is the, the one that we reviewed now a couple times in the last month. Where David returns to... Sorry, I didn't... Sorry. David returns to Ziklag and finds his family gone. The place burned, desolate, all of that. The, truly the bottom of, of the valley. 
And something happened in that portion of the passage that we talked about previously, where David has a revelation. It says that he then encourages himself in the Lord and then inquires of the Lord. And a pattern starts up again, where we can read even into the first few years of, his, of him being king after Saul passes, that he inquires of the Lord whether they should go into this battle, and then inquires of the Lord that they should go in to do that, that next step. And what struck me as I read all of this, like it's a couple of things. One, it's, it's scary. It's scary to think that a man after God's own heart, a man that had been anointed by Samuel to be king, in a point of fear, in a point of stress, in a point of uh, persecution, could find him all the way at the back of the enemy lines at the back of the line for the enemy army and be ready at least in word maybe not in action we'll never know that but at least in word was ready had already given his allegiance to that king was ready to strike out and fight against Israel it's scary it's scary to think that that could happen it's scary to think that that kind of um Again, hear me with the words this morning. That kind of treason could take place. The example that I, I we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and Ethan can correct me, and I know I've mentioned it here too. But this Benedict Arnold syndrome, where you you think about how could somebody be this phenomenal general that fought for the revolution, and then at the drop of a hat, turn coat and and fight against his homeland. That's what David's talking about. Not getting all the way there, but walking quite a ways down that line. And the next thought that came is, but for the grace of God. Look at the grace of God that was shined down on David to to wake him up. The wake-up call wasn't a comfortable one. The wake-up call was coming home and seeing his entire house, family, land, everything just burned to the ground. The grace was that, the, that his loved ones were, were taken away, that they were raptured in some, in, in some kind of description, taken to another place to be restored to him. But where God had to take him by the face and hold him in his hands and say, where you're at is not where I want you. And I need to move you to this other place. I need to move you back onto this correct path. In the earlier passages, when when David makes this transition, when he makes this perceived turncoat change or turn, his earthly mindset took over. His self-preservation took over. And he started making decisions that were just based simply on the fact of, how do I keep myself alive? How do I get through this scary situation to something a little less terrifying? Let me move here, and then I'll figure out the rest later. And what God had to do for him was to stop him in his tracks, allow him to walk down that path. God even used the enemies. He used those Philistine kings, or princes as they're described, to say, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. We can't let him back here. We can't let him at the back of our lines. 
They were doing it for their self-preservation, but God used that decision. He used that um, intervention by those Philistine princes to preserve David, to preserve the king that was going to, to, to lead and to, to save Israel by all accounts. This, watching God's hand work through these things just, just moved me. I mean, when you look at chapter 30 by itself, it's a, it's a wonderful story. And the obedience of David, the humility of David, when David works with his, um, when the, the 400 go with him and then 200 stay back, and the way that he's gracious in, in dealing with the 200 that stayed back, you know, it has this, just this beautiful feeling. But if you don't, if you don't color that story with the background of how dark David's life was, I, I feel like I miss it. I, I, don't appreciate oft, I don't appreciate enough the transformation that took place. And so the last piece to, to just as a consideration, you know, it's, it's, easy, it's easy to take this story and, and put it in an Old Testament con, um, uh, condition, context, and recognize David did not have the Holy Spirit. He didn't have the Spirit's empowerment in his life to direct his path. And we have that blessing. As children of God, we have that blessing, immeasurable blessing, of being able to have the Spirit direct our path, to, to literally live out the verses in Isaiah that say that we'll hear a voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. That voice is only as good as our obedience to it and our listening for it and our keen awareness of its leading in our lives. If I, we today, I today will have those mountaintops and those valley experiences. That's the nature of life. That's the nature of living in a fallen world. But the, the question that I have to ask myself far more often is, am I listening but am I also being, the other verses that, that really struck me were being sober, being vigilant. You know, I need to be sober and vigilant, knowing that my adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he's going to do that in all kinds of different ways. With David, it was putting him in certain positions where he had to make decisions that would seem obvious, where he should be able to just react and just trust that his gut reaction was going to be the right one. And we can see where his gut reaction wasn't. In the same way, we need to recognize that we have to have a reliance on the Spirit to direct our path and know that our gut reaction may not be the right one all the time. Our, our earthly self-preservation may not be the right one all the time. The other piece that I, I thought about this this morning as I was, was waking up and it's easy to, to point out the put out the mistakes that David made and to say, well, I need to be sober. I need to be vigilant. I need to make sure that stuff's not going to happen to me. Also, to have to be compassionate. Have to be compassionate because God showed so much grace to David and he shows so much grace to us. And so when I look at a situation that I might not quite understand, and it's easy from, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, or what's the other example is when you're looking at something from 30,000 feet, it's really easy to judge the situation from hindsight or 30,000 feet and to make snap decisions and to make snap reactions and say, well, this is how I would have done it. 
And when I look at these stories, of, or this story of David and this path that he walked through, I, I have to imagine looking back myself now and having compassion for the situation. Nobody's pursuing me. Nobody's seeking to kill me. Nobody snatched my family off and burned my house down and then expects me to, uh, you know, just walk on and inquire of the Lord, shall I pursue after these people? There are situations in, in all of our lives, in, in, in many, many other, in everybody else's life, that require decisions to be made. And sometimes they're not the perfect ones. It may not be exactly how I would have done it. Maybe it is exactly how I would have done it. And sometimes the consequences and the results don't work out the way that we would want. Do I show grace in those situations to go in and lend a hand? Am I compassionate about some of the consequences that, that come about? Not because, and sometimes I shouldn't even say consequences. Consequences says that there was some action that was taken in the first place. When the rain falls on the just and the unjust, and we find ourselves in situations that we wouldn't want for us or for our loved ones, are we compassionate in those moments? Or do I take that as an opportunity to say, well, you shouldn't have done this? You know, when David, if I'd have walked up on David and seen all of this stuff burned, and him in that moment trying to decide what he should do, would my reaction have been, well, this is what you get for hanging out at the back of the Philistine camp. It was a really dumb thing to do. This is what's going to happen. You should have known better. God didn't do that. He was compassionate with him. He showed grace. He, he recognized that this was a man after his own heart. He recognized that this was his anointed king. He recognized that this was going to be the one that would write the psalms, continue to write the psalms that inspire us and motivate us even today. And because there's bumps and bruises along the way, didn't mean that he was to be thrown away. But in that he was repentant, in that he was uh, able to be restored and wanted to be restored and wanted to, to be obedient and continued thereon, but for some more blips, because he's human, to inquire of the Lord, to encourage himself in the Lord, and to be a valuable um, and powerful servant in God's hand and to, to save the kingdom. And pray that we can use that example um, in, in our lives uh, even, even today. May the Lord bless these words.